Hello, everyone. We start today's episode on a very somber note as we mourn the loss of Jason DePasquier. It's hard to come up with words to say when something like this happens. Uh, as sports fans, you know, we don't know the person personally, so it's hard to talk about their life and their character. Uh, in this situation, it's it's hard to talk about his career because he was so young. He was a rookie in Moto3. Um, yeah, there's stuff about safety coming up, but we're fans of motorcycle racing. This is probably the most dangerous sport there is next to maybe boat racing. And even then they have cockpits, but they're on water. Um, you know, there, MotoGP is probably the safest it could be right now. Uh, you know, you can't use Hans devices. You can't have roll cages. You can't have halos, stuff like that. And this is just one of those freak accidents where this will probably never happen again in any sort of racing. Um, yeah, and there, you, there's arguments about should the race have gone on? Should the race have been postponed? And everyone's going to have different viewpoints on that. You know, you get people like Pecco who are saying, no, we shouldn't have raced. But then you get people like Frankie saying, well, this is what he would have wanted. So. Our, our hearts go out to his family, his friends, his team. Yeah, I, I saw a tweet from his teammate that was it really tore me up. It was one of the most heart-wrenching things I've ever read. And the if you go on MotoGP's website, there's a whole statement from the team that will make you cry. I don't care who you are, you will cry. Um, but, yeah, guys, anything you got to say? Yeah, say... So, um... It's very sad to lose such a a young talent and a great talent as well. I mean, Jason last year was I don't think he scored any points, but like he 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 brought the bike back quite consistently. And then this year he's not been out the points. He's he's looked great this year. <clears throat> Excuse me. And even like a couple of weeks ago when we were at Hareth. I picked him out as my rider of the day just because I, I was following Jason quite closely and seeing him improve, you could see a real spark in a rider. And even in Mugello, this this weekend just gone, I think it was one of the FP, I think it was FP2 or something like that. He was sitting in like P4 and it, it looked like it had almost broke through for him that, you know, this could be the weekend that he maybe, you know, gets near a podium or does really well. And, Obviously, besides the result side of things and, you know, what, what he could have been and all that, it's so sad to lose anybody in this sport. And like you say, it is, it's so, so safe in so many different areas, even with like gravel traps and, you know, all the precautions that they put in. It's so hard to cover what happened at the weekend because, you know, it's one of those freak accidents, like you say. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's so sad. It's so so sad. I, I like I say, I I repeat and echo what you said in sending my thoughts out to the family, his friends, team, even the whole paddock. Because let's not forget, these guys have to go and race, whether they wanted to or not. They mm-hmm. had to go and race at the same you know track that this has happened. And even like Fabio said, every time I go past that corner, that's all you're thinking of, and it's in your mind, you know. So yeah, it's 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 horrible. It's it's so sad, and I just send my best wishes out to everyone connected to him. Mm-hmm. Josh? Yeah, um, same for me. Really, nothing more to add. There's, you know, not much more to talk about on it. In a in a sense, it's, it's it was a tragedy, and um, thoughts and prayers go out to his his family and uh, everyone else on the paddock because. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a weekend where everyone felt it, um, a lot of the riders. Um, I think, you know, who knows if it was announced before the Moto3 race, you know, he might have seen a few riders not, not take part. So, yeah, it was hard on everyone there. So, yeah, it was um, thoughts and prayers. Go out to the, the family and, yeah, we'll obviously remember him and move on and kind of race in his honour, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with that, I think we're going to we'll try to be funny again, try to give you guys a good show. Um, I mean, we haven't started yet, so I don't know why we should start now, but uh, I'm going to have to duck out here because I have to go live in this hellscape where I have to keep going looking at houses. Uh, just a couple quick notes I wanted to say about the weekend. Um, seeing Furusado in Red Bull Rookies Cup win on his debut in Red Bull Rookies Cup was insane. Matt Dunn was losing his shit. Uh, oh, crap. I just realized. <laughs> uh, um, seeing, I forget his name, Munoz win the second race, take the points championship uh, lead was really cool to see. Um, Red Bull Rookies Cup continues to be Moto3 on crack. Uh, Moto3, <laughs> Moto3 was insane. Uh, I, I wish there was a lead change counter because it would probably be in the hundreds that day. Yeah, it was, that's that's what Magello's good for, the straight. It's just, you know, no one wants to be first going down that straight. It's crazy. I did no. tell you, didn't I, Matt, to uh, yeah. prepare for Magello a few, yep. few months back when I was like, get ready, because that's going to be the one to look out for. And it was. Uh Moto 2, fuck track limits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I say that now, but at some point I'm sure I'll be praising them again. Uh, it just, it sucks to see it, you know, to see Joe lose a podium. Cam finished eighth, was really happy. And I mean, both Red Bull guys were on the podium, so I can't complain. Um, Moto GP, finally KTM starts doing something. You know, can be really excited for that to have probably one of the goofiest podiums I've ever seen because it was at one point Quattraro, uh, Oliveira, Mir, then it was Quattraro, Mir, Oliveira, and then it was back to normal. So again, track limits, you know, rears its ugly face. But, uh, the one thing I forgot about is being that I have to leave, I won't be able to do the outro that, so real quick backstory, I, you know, when the podcast started, I wanted to come up with some sort of an outro and 
couldn't think of anything. I'm not that creative. I hit up uh, Steve English. He couldn't come up with anything. I tweeted at Greg White and Drayson Pridmore, who are Moto America commentators. Neither one of them got back to me. And it clicked in my head this past weekend. You know who probably would answer me? Is Matt Dunn. So I messaged Matt Dunn, and he came up with the phrase, keep the throttle pinned. So that will be our new sign-off. If you guys want to use it to sign off for today, have at it. But Matt Dunn, friend of the podcast. Shout so, out to Matt Dunn. Shout out yeah. to Matt Dunn. <laughs> he said he would give us a listen, too. So, Matt, if you're hearing this, thank you. Yeah. But I will talk to you guys later. All right. See you later. Have fun. Right, have fun. Happy house hunting. Well, and now there's back to yeah. two of us, Josh. That's true. Back to uh, back to us. Um, starting in Moto Three, I guess. Yeah. Um, actually, um, well, first of all, was a news before the weekend. Anything of note? Um, well, I mean, the main news in terms of big news to be announced is more so the the Binder deal, isn't there? And um, with oh, Miller, yeah, yeah, which was yeah. Yeah, since the last podcast, we the typical red sector jinx in we put a podcast up and then either whatever we say in the podcast goes the opposite way, or we say there's no news, but we can't wait to hear if there's anything, there's rumors, and then something we've not even spoke about rumors wise, because there's no rumors about it, something comes out the blue like Miller and he gets a new contract the day we upload the next <laughs> the previous podcast. So um so yeah, Miller, for anybody that didn't see, has signed on to Ducati again for another year. Um, I believe Peko and Jack were both on one-year contracts, or like one plus ones, meaning if the results are good, they get another year. Um, but Jack's been given that, and I think it's just a case now of Peko bringing it home and winning, and him getting that that secured early doors, because uh, I think Ducati just want security with those two, don't they, more than anything. Well, yeah, they've they've got some youth there, haven't they? So they might as well keep them for a, a good two or three years. Let them let them prove the worth, and you know, you know um, how Ducati are, how MotoGP is. If if it doesn't work out, they've got plenty more in the you know in the queue that would love a Ducati ride. Azarco being one of them. So yeah, you know, you might as well give them a give them a couple of seasons, and if not, then see you later and enjoy your. On the Castrol or something like that. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. There is a current rumor that, I mean, it's rumored. It's not factual or anything like that. And there's no, I don't believe there's any negotiation at this current minute. But I could jinx that. In your good old friends, uh, Suzuki are thinking of doing a swap with Morbidelli and Rins. It's only a rumor at the mm. minute, but with Rins's current form, mm. uh, Morbidelli basically begging for a top factory ride from Yamaha and not getting it, he feels like he's worthy of a factory ride and I'm in the, the group of people to agree with him. And, you know, that it's it's a, a reasonable suggestion to think to think that, you know, Morbidelli and Rins might swap. But rumours-wise, that's that. Um, I will get onto some more rumours as we go through the different categories. But news, actual factual news is that Brad Binder has signed to KTM factory team until 2024, meaning mm. by the time he gets to the end of that contract or even through it, he will have been with KTM for 10 years, which is See, some was, dedication. 
like to stick with them. I'm yeah. I'm pretty sure with Brad Binder's talent, he would have been reproached by different factories. Yeah, even when he was in Moto Two. So mm. to stick with KTM, it's you know it's great loyalty from Brad, but with KTM, you know both ways really. They've they've stuck by him through Moto Three, Two, and now GP, and he's been given a contract till 2024. What do you think? Yeah, I was um I was quite surprised to be honest. I was I was expecting like a, a you know a year extension or maybe two years. I wouldn't expect until twenty twenty four. But it makes sense, you know, having with him being with KTM for as long as he has been. Um and with his the potential of KTM and of on and of Brad Binder, we know he can win races. We know that KTM's capable of winning races. So really it does seem a no brainer to tie him down for another a few years. Yeah, I think with KTM, and I've said this from the start of the year, um, with Oliveira and Brad Binder, you, there's certain riders that you can't quite pinpoint what it is that they've got, but you know that they're right. Do you know what I mean? I think mm. Oliveira and Binder epitomise what KTM need and want. Yeah, I think, for me, I, if I was KTM, the only person that I would ever have thinking of, like thought about swapping them out because of how well they know the factory and this and that would be a fully fit pre-injury Marquez. That mm. would be it for me. And throwing the absolute kitchen sink at it. Other and, than that, I would say they are the guys. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's hard to tell without a, a you know a magic ball. But with the likes of Fernandez and Gardner coming through the ranks, they're going to move. I can imagine they'll move into Tech Three. But if they yeah. do, if they do perform. You know, KTM are going to be thinking, right? Who are we going to have to replace in in the the, the factory team for one of these? Because we know Fernandez is looking like a talent, like yeah. the way he's performing in Moto Two. He is a, is a rumours that he's probably going to be in MotoGP next year. It's probably looking that way if he continues. Um, well, um, I've got the uh, I've got the rumor list from a a good Instagram page that I follow. If anyone's listening, oh, really? a, a good Instagram page to follow is Everything Motor Racing. I I speak to the guy on there quite often. Um, and to be fair, this guy is not like a you know he, he doesn't do it for clicks or anything like that. Everything I think he's got a record as well of like everything he's ever posted to say that this will happen. I think for six years he's been right with everything. The guy the guy knows people within people you know what i mean are in the paddock so in terms of rumors wise i in fact we'll do this and then we'll move on to the actual racing from the weekend so um the top rumor is uh rossi to retire and dixon to replace a little bit left field but it's possible it's 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 a maybe at the minute dixon i think i think patronus really sees something in dixon because even though it's not quite clicked this year from last year they see a rider which from the year before that, when he was with Aspar, wasn't it, on that on that horrible bike that just fell to pieces, they gave him a year contract or a two-year contract with Petronas. And when it clicked, it clicked. So, like, you yeah. could see there was major mm. talent there. Um, so Petronas do value Jake really highly. So, yeah, I mean, what, and what do you think about that? Well, it's a Brit factor as well. I think there is some... Some marketing to have a a Brit in MotoGP. The fact we've lost Crutchlow, we lost Smith, um, you know, Redding, Redding as well. Um, there's no British like rider, and there is a lot to be said for having one in MotoGP. 
So it would make a lot of sense for Jake Dixon, considering he's on a Patronus bike, to move him up. Even if it's just, it sounds daft, but even if it's just filler, you know, to have that, that British presence in there for one or two seasons. It, um, it kind of gives me, a, like, I don't want to put him in the same bubble, but it gives me Laquona vibes in that Laquona didn't, you know, he didn't set the world alight in Moto2, but to be fair, I think there'd be a lot of people that would put um, Dixon in that bubble of they see something that you don't quite know exactly what it is, but they see it. There's something there. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to go with, I, th- I think that might happen, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, we'll move on to the next one, which is kind of linked to what we were just saying. In the Ralph Fernandez and Remy Gardner in Tech 3 MotoGP, Fernandez is happy to do another year in Moto2, but will do his KTM request. So, mm. like we've just been saying, it's a good problem to have, but also a bad one in that they have bags of talent, KTM now. They've got Acosta, they've got Fernandez, they've got Gardner, they've just got this young kid that's come through in Red Bull Rookies and won the first race of Red Bull Rookies that he's ever participated in. Never raced around Magello before and won. Like, all the way down the, the, the order, KTM have so much talent. So, I mean, Gardner and Fernandez, they look like a pairing in Moto2, and Gardner's mm. definitely going to be looking to jump up. So, you know, Fernandez early doors as quick as possible, get him in GP, and Gardner, I think Gardner, I would say he's re- if he's going to move up, I'd say it's got to be next year or the year after. Any later than that, he'd be, you know, be thinking it's maybe missed the train a little bit on that one. Yeah, they, <laughs> they've almost got too much talent, Red Bull, for yeah. what's coming up. I mean, if you think... If you think with Acosta, if he stays how he is, and if he performs how he will be, how he how he is anyway, you're talking two two years before he's probably ready for MotoGP. But then you've got to think right. So we've got Fernandez, Gardner, we've got Oliveira, we've got Binder still in the primes. There's no room for him. So unless someone moves to a different team or a, an extra KTM, you know, um, team come onto the grid, mm-hmm. it's going to be very tough for KTM to decide who to keep and who to promote, who to let go, things like that. So it's it's a lot of problems considering it's probably like you said, it's a good problem to have, but still It's got to, yeah, it's got its pros and cons because you've only got to look at someone like Jorge Martin who just looked like he was ready to jump straight on a KTM and then Ducati just come and take him because like we were saying a couple of weeks ago, there's no guarantee that if you're in this KTM system you will stay with them. I mean mm. You look at all these young Japanese and Asian riders that come through with the Honda Team uh, Asia Cup and people like Sasaki and um, Kata Toba have gone from Honda to KTM, which in Moto3 might not seem a big deal, but mm. Honda put a lot of money to bring these kids through the you know the younger categories and for them to get to the World Championship with Honda and then to think, you know what, I'll go to KTM, to a European factory... It's quite a big, you know, yeah. quite a kick. Well, you know what I mean? It's quite a big kick in the nuts for Honda. Yeah. So. I think, I think we will be hopeful as well for another Suzuki team just because that adds two more spots, which, and I mean, Suzuki don't really have a kind of a, the same program that KTM, the likes of KTM has, or Patronus, you know, hot Yamaha in the, in the younger field. So I think if Suzuki were to get two extra, two extra bikes, they would be looking at poaching maybe some from the likes of KTM because they can probably see in the future, oh, there's there's some talent KTM haven't got enough bikes to fill 
um, you know, for all of these these kids coming through, so we can snatch a few. Um, so yeah, obviously the more bikes, the, the easier it is for these kids. But we know how cutthroat it is, how, how challenging it is to get to MotoGP, and how little seats there are for how good how yeah. how good riders there are. I mean, yeah. wow, it's it's the future's bright, but that also means it's too the bright. Future's, yeah, precarious for for you know a lot of these riders are on a hot seat and. Only all it takes is someone like, let's say, Gardner gets into Mo, um, MotoGP, and he just doesn't perform on that Tech Three, you know, for whatever reason. He's, he'll probably have a season or two, I reckon, to prove himself. I it's... mean, I, I don't want to curse the guy, but yeah. using that example, if let's say Gardner goes to GP next year with Tech Three, and Acosta goes to Moto Two with KTM, and mm. Acosta does what Fernandez is doing now and yeah. wins races and challenges. If KTM don't promote him, someone else will. Someone's going to get him, and KTM will want him. And K- yeah, KTM will. They, they will have to. And Acosta's, you know, manager and stuff like that will know this. KTM will have to knock doors down to get Acosta yeah. in that GP team if they want to. If they, you know, they've got to. And what I mean by knock doors down is they're going to have to get rid of someone because mm. there's no guarantee, like you say, and like we've said for ages, you know, and it's always been a thing. There's no guarantee. Even if you've got this system all the way back to CEV and Red Bull rookies that KTM have got, there's no guarantee that you're staying with KTM. Because, I mean, Jorge Martin came through at Red Bull rookies. I think he won Red Bull rookies. So he's kind of got that, you know, that bloodline, so to speak, of KTM. Comes through, wins on a Honda at Moto3, but, you know, kept within the Red Bull scheme because of his Red Bull rookies. And the Red Bull KTM link got a Red Bull KTM Moto2 ride performs but Ducati show him a decent ride and he thinks well yeah if that yeah, takes fast my track. fancy you know what I mean I'll, I'll, I'll go mm. there so you've only got to use that as an example to show if you're talented enough don't just think that it, you're going to go straight into the you know your team's next team there'll be someone else come for you but it's like it's an interesting point you make with Suzuki because I mean like with Yamaha for example use use both the inline teams as a as a great example in that Yamaha have a B team and have always had a B team. So if there's anybody like the Quattararos that thought there's something there, we'll bring him up, put him on a put him on a, a B team bike, see how he does. But Suzuki are in this position where they've only got their A team and it's the full, you know, the full whack sort of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean, you're in the factory team. So it would be it is kind of like these teams have to have a scouting system, so to speak, in the lower classes to know who they're picking out. Do you know what I mean? It's not with KTM, but KTM will have hundreds of employees around all these guys that will already be saying to like the likes of Acosta, stay in KTM, go to KTM at Moto2. These The same guys that you work with now, they'll be at Moto2 and GP. So it's kind of like a family all the way through. Mm. Whereas... As good as Yamaha and Suzuki are, they've got to make sure that if they want someone like me with Suzuki, you've got yeah. to get him early. You've got to get him early because I remember Mir jumped on Moto2, didn't he? And it looked great because everyone knew Mir were a great rider in Moto3. But yeah, I think it was Lamoni signed at Suzuki. Um, so really early on, like to 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 sign to GP at Le Mans is very early. But um, but yeah, he was a rookie at that time. On in Moto Two, so you know, for for somebody like Mir to go up that early, Suzuki knew what they were doing, and it's the same thing Yamaha have to do. So 
on that point, it will be interesting to see if Fernandez and Gardner go up. And if if Fernandez says, I'm happy to do another year, you know, that might be KTM saying to him, we might want to give Petrucci another year, Laquona another year. I don't know. But KTM also need to up the game in Tech 3 standard. I know they've, they've improved with this chassis and whatnot, but if I'm Fernandez and let's say Suzuki come to me and say, we want, we're getting rid of Rins, we want you, right? If that Tech 3 is not flying like the KTM factory team looks to be, I'd be going. I wouldn't even. It wouldn't even be within question if I'm staying with KTM. I'd go straight to Suzuki. Mm. I don't know about you, but yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't be sitting around for the sake of thinking. Well, I'm in. I'm in family. Do you know what I mean? I'd mm. be thinking. I'd go straight there. Yeah, straight to the Suzuki. I mean, I guess I've got a couple of years to figure it out. I've Oliveira. See how long he could last. Um, well, you got to look at Honda as well. Reps all there in. I mean, obviously Marquez. We don't know. This, will we ever see the old markers again? Um, you know, Paul is just not getting used to that bike. I think we've come to realise that Honda is probably one of the worst bikes on the grid, really. That's, that's the thing. A lot um, of people have come to say that Paul's not getting used to it, but then people are also in the same breath saying it's a shocking bike. So, I mean, mm. we all know it's the hardest bike to adapt to. Yeah. But if it's the hardest bike to adapt to and it's a shocking bike, then in mm. Paul's defence, like, He's not really out of his league and where he's finishing. Yeah, is he? he's he's yeah he's he's probably looking back thinking after them that KTM result thinking oh god yeah I made a bad decision here. Um, but is that it for rumors? Uh, was there any more? Um, there's speculation, but there's a rumor and kind of speculation in that um, Lacona or Messier or uh, and Acosta in Moto Two with that with the IO KTM. So basically. What it seems to be at the minute is the Moto2 team for next year for KTM will be Acosta and Messia or Lacona. Mm. So they, it seems like they're half considering dropping Lacona down with his age. Yeah. Still being quite young to come well, back down. But, it does make sense. The only, um, it, that makes total sense. The only issue you have is if Lacona goes and wins the Moto2 championship. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they'll probably bank, they'll probably bank on that not happening. But if if that does happen, they've got a bit of a an issue on the hands. Uh, but yeah, but at the same time, I and mean, tell me if I'm talking nonsensical here. But at the same time, if you half thought that that was going to happen, meaning it would be a big problem when he wins it, you wouldn't sign him, would you? You'd you'd say let's get Messia mm. because then you don't want him to do bad. Obviously, you want him to win. Yeah, yeah. So if he does win, then that gives him an even bigger problem. So. What's the point bringing him down with you? Like, mm. I, I don't, I don't know. But it's, it's an interesting corner. One. Yeah. But um, we'll finish there on speculation and rumors yeah. and whatnot. Um, we could do that on an on an off week when mm. things are things start to move a little bit further in uh, with the whole COVID delay and everything from last year and this year. You know, transfer market stuff and rider market stuff isn't really happening as early as it normally does in other years. No, so. it's it's not silly season yet, is it? It's No. It's it, taken a while it, to it get is, back into the group. Yeah, it's still taken a while. So I think by the time we get to Austria, you'll start to see things in full swing and the summer yeah. break and whatnot, you'll see things going there, which we have plenty of time to talk about. But having said that, um, Moto3, let, let's move on to Moto3 for uh, the Mugello Grand Prix. Let's actually get on to what we planned on doing on doing the yeah. race review um 
thoughts, Josh? Any anything that stands out for you for that race? I mean, um, it was hectic as always, obviously. But yes, it's a, it, it was a typical Moto Three race in that regard. Very hectic. I mean, from the start, oh, who did we lose? You know, the likes. Onchu lost quite early yep. on, didn't he? Alof, we lost Onchu. Um, Going into that corner where we lost about three, was it three or four well, of the, them? The non-finishes, if, I, I can't remember because with Moto3 and Mugello, it's like if you take notice of someone crashing, you've lost somebody else diving yeah. up the inside of five I mean, people. So it's, you know. Oncho, Mino, Sura, or Sura, Fernandez, Tate and Koffler, them are the ones we lost. Um, yeah. There was an incident with three of them and the bike, that rogue bike kind of just went off on its own. Yeah. Um, and crossed the track. Luckily, there was no one around, but, you know, that that could have been nasty. Um, but I guess... Oh, go on. Yeah. Now, I was just going to say, I guess because it's Mugello, you expect a few more incidents Yeah. because of how yeah, it is. So. Um, I was just going to make the point a, a massive props to Messia in that last lap because Foggia was home and dry at one point and I think he must have been, I mean, I'm talking visually, but you can usually tell with Moto3, he looked about six, six, seven tenths up the road like because of the mm. overtaking and whatnot through, um, I think it was through Scarperia that the, was it Scarperia or was it San Borgia? I can't remember, but the um, the guys behind in second and third were swapping and changing in that last lap, almost as though to say, let me go for the last lunge. I, I've got the pace to catch mm. him, but they couldn't really decide who wanted to be second. Um, but it ended up being Messiah that grabbed hold of it and, and tried to catch Fodger in that last lap. And he, he finished 36 thousandths of a second yeah. behind Fodger. Yeah. And I, I didn't think he'd catch him, but I didn't think he'd get that close. That yeah, is unbelievable. Um, it, that's the beauty of the start finish straight, Mugello, isn't it? Yeah. Um, how you go into that corner first, although, of course, because it, it's a finish line, it's half the distance, but usually if you go into that corner first, you're not coming at the you end of it. Well. You're not going to be front. Yeah, you do well if you're still at front. You'd have to be on a Ducati yeah. for something like that. Um, yeah. But Messia was a good race for him, considering you know the setbacks he's had so far in this season. It's not been the season he's wanted. No, um, I guess he, he was. He, he was a favourite. Yeah, mm. I mean, he was my pick. He, he, for me, it was either Acosta or Messia. I, I had those two as as my mm. pick. Um, with maybe like John or Binder. I think yeah. they're the main four, aren't they? That kind of yeah. Well, not, maybe a lot of people didn't know about Acosta, but in terms of team wise, it's like yeah, people know that Petronas bike's great, and people know the KTM bike's great. It's two teams at the minute that you mm. can consistently rely on. Um, Rodrigo getting his second ever podium. We have spoken yep. about Rodrigo being very inconsistent. So mm. you know, give credit where credit's due. That's a that's a great result for him. But yeah. in terms of championship wise, Messia obviously gained on Acosta because Acosta finished eighth. Um, yeah, so Acosta just got his head down that race, didn't he? I yeah. think. Yeah, but it, it is one of them that even though Messia's gained points. In a roundabout way, he'll be annoyed because he's not pipped for first, and Acosta's still there picking points up. Yeah, and that's what—that's the worst thing when you're ch- when you're chasing somebody down in a ch- in a title race, and even if you get a great result, and maybe they don't do too well, you're thinking not to be hurt or anything like that, but you're thinking, I hope they've not scored because I've got a bag yeah. full of points. Uh, I've got twenty yeah. points here, and you Acosta's see- finishing in eighth. You want to see Costa on, you know, down in seventeenth or something like that, don't you? Yeah, 
But um, again, to win championships, you pick up points at every race. You you're doing yep. well, aren't you? Yep. So you, um, you need that. Acosta's got that consistency at the moment. Even if he is finished down the eighth, he's he's stretched that lead out to the point where realistically. He probably doesn't need to be on the podium every race. He can racing afford, race out now. He can yeah. afford to have a few eighth, ninth, yeah. you know, place finishes now. Whereas people like Massia, they need to be pushing every race. And that means there's more chance of him making a mistake and falling off. So the ball is definitely in Acosta's court still. Yeah, I think you're right there with Acosta because even though he has come home in eight, maybe he's thought, I've not got that pace. To sit mm. at the front and not necessarily because it, it's hard at Mugello to to hold the front if you're at the front. But you know, if if you've got a couple of tenths on everybody, you could chip away through the lap and then end up being near that top three position or maybe even leading by the end of that street. You never know. But Mugello, it's so close anyway. So to to come home and you know get eighth place, yeah, it's not amazing. But like you say, he can afford to just say, you know what, eighth place. And I think he'll look back at the end of the year and think, I'm glad in them sort of races I didn't go hell for leather and throw it down the road because eighth mm. place could win your championship easily. Yeah, We've seen it I loads think... of times at the end of a Moto3 season where it's like, you know, 14 points and 12 points away. And it's like an eighth place or anything like that. You could mm. pick up, what? What is it, eighth place? Let's just say it's eight points. Mm. Eight points can win your championship. Yeah. I think it's smart as well, especially Magello. Like it's one of them where you want to be on the podium, you want to win it because it's such a iconic race on the calendar. It's one of the, if you want to class it as a major, it's one of the majors of the MotoGP. Probably up there with the likes of Assen. Um, yeah. I don't know, a couple of others up for debate, but it's like the know, Monaco, the... but for for bikes, not in the sense mm. of like Monaco is like the money maker kind of glitz and glamour of F one, but Magello is like the race like that yeah. silverstone because of the the british history and it being you know where the sport came from and whatnot but in terms of like mm. the race you want to win Magello is up there with yeah you know it's just it just is it's up there excusing our technical difficulties we had a couple of problems here but not to worry we carry on with the rider of the day so we move on from there um you know what? I'll go with Sasaki because of Saturday's events. He had a. I yes. know everyone had a lot yeah. going through the red, but at the time, not knowing about Jason and mm. that that guy, you could see, you know, emotionally, that guy was. You're bound to feel, in a, in a sense, guilt, aren't you? You're you're bound to feel a little bit more weight on your shoulders and everything, and to go out there and yeah, not get on the podium, but for, fourth place. On you know what I mean, he, he must have had no sleep that night thinking about yeah. what was going on. Um, yeah, full credit to, to be him. Fair. Yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, it's a great, great race. Probably, yeah, that's a, that's a good shout actually. That is a really good shout because it, you know he had no right really, or he had every right to just say, you know what, I'm not racing today. Yeah, well, I mean, he any of them did, and, but him yeah, they all did. Yeah, but to actually have that mental fortitude to get on the bike and. And place it fourth as well. It was just, yeah, really good yeah. ride, really strong ride. Yeah, I mean, we'll move on to Moto Two for now. Um, but yeah, in terms of Moto Three, obviously we've we've set our piece on Jason De Pasquier, but mm. 
I mean, for me, it was it was so weird to sit and watch because even though, you know, I, I don't watch every race and think of, you know, with all due respect, I'm not sat there with every race and gone, where's Jason DePasquier? But mm. knowing that there's not a rider there, it just feels wrong. Do you know what I mean? It feels wrong yeah, knowing because you know he's not there for, you know, he's not he's not injured himself in a way of like, you know, he's broke his leg and he's, he's there next week. You're questioning whether he's going to be there and it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. So it was hard to sit and watch. I'll be honest with you. Me personally, Moto Three was was very hard to sit and just mm-hmm. watch, knowing that we didn't know. You, I know, I, I, waking up and just thinking there's still no news and and whatnot. But yeah, we'll move on to Moto Two. Um, Gardner Fernandez. I mean, like Matt said earlier, he'll be happy. But as yep. we have the two Brits and no American. Mm-hmm. We can say this in peace without being absolutely <laughs> hung, drawn, and quartered. But exactly. Sam Lowe's is making me want to pull my hair out. And I genuinely... I, I... He made a shit weekend shitter, really. Um, obviously, it, it's just... I can't, I'm, I'm thinking back to the, the incident. Uh, I'm trying to remember because I'm... Because how many DNFs has he had now? I keep I keep Three. getting the French I, I keep getting the French one in my head, but that we had a bike go down, didn't we? Uh, if you want yeah. when we watched it, and the yeah. problem was his teammate had already gone down. So as soon as you saw the colours, it you, you my heart sank. You knew instantly yeah. it could only be one person. Oh, and I could not believe it. I mean, was he in? Was he in second? second. It, it chasing was chasing down. It was so annoying because it was one of the Moto Three races where. Literally, I think you ask anyone on that grid that wasn't Ralph Fernandez, Remy Gardner, or Sam Lowe's, you know, who's the the main threats? They would name those previous names and go in, a fourth place would be brilliant because those three are going to run off. We know they're quicker. We've, we've, we're, everyone else is going for fourth place. Everyone knew that before they even set off. And you've got this group of three at the front Slightly gapped, but that's Moto Two. You, you don't really tend to see a group of three like a, you know, a bike length or two mm. between one another. And it was just one of those races where I thought, okay, Sam, you're in second place. You know, take your time, tires wise, just take care of them. Let the race come to you. If if the KTM guys are quicker than you, a third place, you can't ask for much more than if you get beat. Then you you know. The position next to that is yeah. the best you can do. Exactly. And like you say, just to see him go down, it's one of them where, I mean, you know, I'm not, I would never doubt Sam Lowe's for not trying. Don't get me wrong. You know, he's a trier, but in terms of, you know, let's be real here, this, this championship is just clawing more and more away. Drastically and so slipping you know, away. It's one of those, isn't it, where you look at it and you go, well, yeah, there's still 15 races to go. And then in five races to go, mm. you'll be saying we're halfway through, and it's still a bit far away. But there's ten races to go, and then it'll get <laughs> the... close to the end, and you'll be thinking, Sam, come on, you need to be, you need to be catching them up now. And it's before you know it, you're at the end of the season again, aren't you? And the the problem is, it's bad because it, you, there's three people: Gardner, Fernandez, and Bezzetti, and you, you, for us anyway, for especially Sam, and for anyone who who's a fan of Sam. You wishing on them not to score points, which is something, it. yeah, and they keep doing it because the consistency of them three is at the moment out of this world. But of course, if you're wishing on them not to score points, 
a big likelihood of them not scoring points is because of the crash. So yeah. it, and for to wish for three people not to score points or to score less points, it's you know it's not a nice kind of thought to have. But at the moment, Sam Lowe's that's what that's his only avenue back into this championship fight. I think is yeah. I mean, you're saying the same things you said last week, and so am I. Mm, but yeah, you know, we sat here a week ago and said. It, it, with all due respect, we could do with somebody like a Fernandez and a guard just sliding off and missing out on a race points and just mm. thinking, right, Sam, get on podium and you've gained yeah. 20 points on one of them. Do you know what I mean? And mm. then when another one goes off or whatever, but those three riders you've just named, Bezeki, um, Fernandez and Gardner, I'll just be thinking, well, that's, an- that's another chance he's had to catch up wheels. And we've yeah. we've not only gapped him, but gapped mm-hmm. him the maximum we can because we've all finished P1, P2, and P3. So yeah. Sa- Sam's got a challenge on his hand. If, if Sam wants to win this title now, and this sounds like a task and a half, but with, with the consistency, like you say, with those those three and the challenge he's got ahead of himself, Sam cannot afford any more than one DNF at the max. Yeah. And that is at the maximum. Because... Uh, you, you don't see many people win a, a world title with four DNFs. No, so if he does let have alone one more three. DNF, yeah. So if he has one more DNF, for me, that'll be the write-off. That'll be me saying enough's enough. Because I, I Fernandez, I've said it many times, Fernandez gets better every week. Mm-hmm. I can only see Fernandez just... I'll be honest with you, I've got, I've got confidence in Fernandez winning five races this year plus. Yeah. And, and then you've got the consistency of Gardner, who hasn't finished lower than fourth. And, this and so I far. give Bezeki credit. When he knows he ain't quick enough, he just goes, I'm bringing it home. Bring mm. it home, get points. Every time. You saw that at Qatar. You know, he knew he weren't as quick as Sam. So yeah. he just went, I, I can't keep up with him, but I'm quicker than everyone behind me. I'll take points. Mm. And he's in front of Sam now, isn't he, in the championship, I, yep. I assume. I don't know. I don't want to quote that. He is. He's, he's um, what is he? 24, 22 points in front of um, Lowe's now. Um, the only saving grace for Lowe's was if, um, Digi crashed. Yeah. Which well, I, mean, I don't know where Digi was. I don't know where Digi was going to finish. Uh, he was quite was high like, up, actually. I, th- but, I think he was like third or fourth. I yeah, can't quite remember. He but... was, he, he's six points ahead of Digi. So really, you know, if Digi and Avadil is, is, is off, we'd be saying yeah. Sam Lowe's is in fifth. Um, but. I mean, for Digi as well, that was a shame because he, yeah. he again, Italian. He was looking to get up there. He 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 had good pace, and he probably could have seen him fight for a, a podium spot that race. But he, I can't remember his fall exactly. I can't remember if that yeah, was. I think a... he fell off at the last corner, didn't he? Was it last corner when he was like he slid out of it as he was coming out or something? Yeah, I think it might have been last corner. I can't quite remember, but um, I think for me, Digi was best of the rest, or like. You know, mm. as the race got towards the end, would have mm. been best of rest or a podium or something like that. But yeah, it was quite. It's always sad to see a home rider crash out of the you know the home race. Mm. But um, I think it's a good thing that Matt isn't here for Joe Roberts' sake. Because yeah, I, I, as soon as I saw it, I just went, "Oh God, Matt I is not going to be happy with that." <laughs> I know we say rules are rules, but these track limits—they're ridiculous. I'm not. What advantage did he gain? For that, really, um, you can use that same the, the sentence you've just used. You could use that in ninety percent of them, though, couldn't you? Yeah, like with the the mere Oliveira thing, which we'll get to. But 
Um, mm. It's it's you know, I mean, there is a part of me. People will probably disagree for safety reasons, which I get. But there's a part of me that just wants it to go back to like what I think of Donington as in an mm. old old school bike track where you've got curbs and then grass. Just put that because then you'll there won't be any if you've touched the green if you've not touched. There's the no green. grey area because if you touch the grass, if down. Yeah, you're either down or you know you're flicking grass up and you're struggling to mm. stay on it or whatever. So you'll you'll then definitely avoid it. Do you know what I mean? I could be wrong in saying that. I think there's definitely pros and cons to the the green runoff and everything, but it's you know it's one of them. As a rider, you will never ever get to a point where you know if you're on that green or not. If it's fifty fifty, if if there's a millimeter of your tire touching the green, you won't know. So how how can you get penalised for it if you don't know? Exactly. It's like I don't want to go too into this, but it's a little bit like with VAR. If like your fingernails offside or your finger is offside, how do you know that that fingernail or finger is offside? Because you've not got eyes in your fingers. So, so how would you know if you're offside? It's, it's the same argument with the whole sensor thing, where they're like, "Well, it's you know, if it's off, it's off." But how is a rider meant to know with that? You but know what I mean? It's ridiculous. Quickly, because we're on the subject. Quickly moving on to MotoGP. With um, Oliveira and Mia, apparently, I can't remember if I read it on Twitter or I can't remember where I heard it or read it, but apparently Oliveira triggered the sensor, but Mia didn't trigger the sensor. I don't know if See, that's true. I find that but... hard to believe because every every sensor is ad- it's adequate enough that they could they could have yeah, ten bikes I'd... run over it and it would be like maybe, off, 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 yeah, off. Like... Maybe I've misread it, but there was something about... Oliveira triggered something that Mia didn't, or Oliveira got mm. a notification that Mia didn't. I mean, so... to be fair, it's probably best to move on to it when we when we get yeah. to GP. But yeah, um, yeah, we'll we'll come back to that. We'll we'll come back because we could have a full conversation about the the Oliveira Mia thing because that's just <laughs> that was so weird at the end of the race anyway. Um, so yeah, Joe Roberts missed out on a podium because of track limits, so got demoted a position, which I can understand. A certain Matt Polanski would be very annoyed with. Um, mm-hmm. P8 for Cameron Bobier, very good result. Yeah. I, I keep saying it, I you know, he keeps getting better and better. And P8 for yeah. a rookie is a very good result, especially after um, is it France last, yeah. the last race, you know, yeah, and the um, the disappointments, yeah. So, um, on that, rider of the day for Josh is oh, god. Um, again, it's always tough, like really tough. I, uh, I'm probably going to go Gardner. I know we, we said about going with the winner, but I he feel that late, then. that late charge he had where he, he, he saved his tires. He was just happy to sit behind Fernandez. And when he knew, and you know, later on in the race, when he knew Fernandez's tires were a bit more worn than his, he just, that's when he struck and it, it just, it just went, it couldn't have gone any more perfect really. Yeah, it was a great. I, I can, I can get behind that. If if he'd have just like with Fabio, if he'd have cleared off and won it, you, you know, it'd be a bit boring to say rider at day because obviously he won't rider at day. But you want to pick someone who's a bit more, you know, mm. not underperforming, but someone like a standout that he wouldn't have expected it. Yeah. But Gardner, great. Uh, you know, I take my hat off to him because it were a brilliant ride. Um, in terms of rider of the day for me. I kind of want to like almost like a uh, a bittersweet. I do kind of want to give it Joe Roberts because mm. you know you can't take it away from him unless you're you know 
you actually are working for Dorna. But <laughs> it, it great great ride, really. You know, P three, P four, or whatever it, you want to class it as. It's eight seconds it, off race race winner, which, as we know, nobody was no. touching those original three no. or four. But let's um, face it, that was the ride he needed. Yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. he pulled that out the bag when he needed to. After yeah. his disappointments, that was yeah, that was the. Of course, it was bittersweet again. He would have loved to have been on the podium, but he, he wouldn't. Have, if he'd have told her before the race, if he'd have told him, "Oh, you're going to finish fourth," he'd have been well happy with that. that. Yeah, it took that. If he'd have told him how he'd have taken P four, I think he'd have been very, very pissed off. But, yeah. <laughs> but on that note, we'll leave Moto Two there, and we'll move on to the big boys. We'll move on to the main race in uh, Moto GP. And before we get on to anything, Josh, we jinxed him. Peko Bagnaya, we <sighs> jinxed him. I can't believe we it. sat there, didn't we, the whole week and we're like, this is it. He's, if, if he's going to win one, it's going to be this. Gonna be, it's got to be. It's got to be Mugello. We were saying Italian rider on an Italian bike and an Italian team racing in Italy. It's written for him. Not just for that, but he looked good all weekend. He looked great. Just behind mm. Fabio, but you thought it can do a number on him, maybe. Maybe it can, you know, stick with him for the lap, then get him on the end of the street and stick with him for the lap, get him at the end of the street if Fabio took him. And when he went down, as much as I was happy for Fabio's sake, it was just one of those moments again, <sighs> a little bit like Mazzano last year, where you were just sitting there thinking, what could have been for Paco so, Bagnaia? I mean, it was so harsh because. In a sense that he just touched, he just went a little bit wide, touched the curb, yeah. and that was that. I mean, I mean he's, he's my golden boy, really, I think, at the moment. He's the one I'm yeah, cheering for. you do like Peko, really. don't you? I do, and I think he's... And I, yeah, I was so good for him. But in all honesty, the way Fabio rode, I think he was destined to win. I think he would have left Bagnaia for dust eventually. Um, so it was a second place probably that Bagnaia lost out on, I think. Um, which is I a think, shame because he's, mm. you know, that that's a, a DNF and it's a, it'll be a costly one, really. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to give a DNF to anybody, being Bagnaya, it's. I mean, he didn't, he did not had a DNF yet, and to DNF, like I say, Italian, that this, Italian, yeah. that, and with Fabio winning, mm. and and DNFing in the lead, yeah, it's just it's such a kick in the gut yeah, for, for Pecco. But um, he, again, he wasn't. I don't think he was too thrilled to race. You could tell he probably his mind wasn't in the right place. Yeah, I, I so. do. I hundred percent get that. But it, it is the same for everybody in that. Set. Yeah, it is. Obviously, everybody. You know, everybody takes it in different ways, and some mm. people can put it to one side. Some people can't. But you know, in terms of the whole opinion of whether they should have raced or whether they shouldn't, you you could see. I mean, look at the guy who won. You know, Fabio was mm. crying before he even got over the line, wasn't he? You know, he was, you could tell he, he he raced for. Yeah, you know, and we yeah he, we all know that Fabio is one of them that he does. If he's emotional, you know he's not putting it on. Like you can see, mm. the guy's a very emotional guy. Anyway, he wears his heart on his sleeve, but there was that was genuine. Like that was genuine from Fabio. You could see that. Like you know, you don't go out of your own way to go get the Swiss flag and, you know, yeah. get the stickers on your helmet and whatnot. To I know a lot of people did it and, you know, I'm not discrediting anybody else, but with Fabio, you could see it. And, it, you know, it was on everybody else's mind as well. But with Peko, whether it was pressure, whether it was emotion or whatnot, 
to go on the curb like that mm. you would say I don't want to say a rookie error but it's not something you would expect from Pecco of all people no. would you really I think there probably would have been an element of that in it pressure leading at his home race um, you know it, it it's not something he's used to is it so there's, there would have been a lot of, a lot a lot of weight on him to win that for Ducati because mm. this is a track which Ducati should be winning at you know because it's, it's it's built for a Ducati in a way. You don't go you don't go into Mugello thinking, yeah, Yamaha. This is Yamaha's track. You know, this I, is I, always. Honestly, I think it's either yeah. I think it's literally it, you go into it thinking it's going to be Ducati Yamaha. You don't you don't your point being you don't sit there and think Suzuki. It's your time to shine <laughs> yeah. or Honda. Yeah. It's your time to shine. You know, it's it, it's literally a big straight that you go. Well, they're Ducati. You can gain half a second. Yeah, and, and Yamaha and, everywhere else you can gain exactly. There. So yeah. it's, you know, it's a war of. Ducati and Yamaha, but I mean, in a roundabout way, you could think of it this way: that Pecco could literally be sitting there racing, thinking, "Right, I'm in the lead. I need to show what I'm worth now. My teammate's just been given a, a contract for winning mm. a race. You know, that might be in his mind, thinking, "Well, if he's getting one for winning, I need to win." And you know, mm. one corner just thinks, "I'll push it a little bit more," and yeah. that's all it takes. But yeah, it, it was. I, I I couldn't believe it because like yeah. I say Pecco, he's just not that kind of guy. But Swelly on as well. It's yeah, it's but, uh, you know he'll it, probably look back on it in a way, a blessing in disguise. He'll probably look back and think, you know, it was a good thing for me to crash the to crash when I did. This might like reset. He might reset now and go forward. He might he might be in a better place mentally, especially like in the lead of a race. But yeah, it's massive a massive points haul he's missed out on, especially when Fabio goes to win it because he's. He's in command now, yeah, massively. I think what was it, twenty five, twenty six points he is ahead. So yeah, I think it's twenty six or something it's, like that. Yeah, it's, but it's it's one of is, them as well yeah. that, like, when you look at it, I mean, we, I, I, not only did we jinx him, but for anybody that does listen to these podcasts, you'll know I took Pecco out of my fantasy team a few weeks <laughs> back for a certain Miguel Oliveira, and then did the swap did again. You, did you swap him? <laughs> So I've just took Miguel Oliveira out of my team and put Pecco in it, and they've just gone, well, for that, Pecco will crash, and Miguel Oliveira turns up and finishes P2. KTM pull the finger out and give him a great bike on what I originally planned on saying for Oliveira at the start of the year. And, yeah, so I'm literally Dr. Jinx when it comes to this sort of stuff. So, um, so yeah, we we had Fabio winning. I mean, just on that, I know we mentioned it briefly, but... I don't want to sing his praises too much with Yamaha and whatnot, but what a ride. Like, yeah, he deserves that. that. Was, he deserves every that praise. That was, that was just controlling from the start. He was on a mission. He was on a warpath with that race. He really was. Yeah. And he had. He seemed to have more fuel in his... More things to fuel the fire uh, this weekend in particular. You know, on a bike, which... which let's look at Vinales down in eighth. Vinales can't get a, hand, a handle on. But Rossi yeah. can't get a handle on, and he's just showing them. Look, it's not exactly the bike that's shit, because mm. you know, I'm romping it here. So this is the Quartararo which we should have had last year, I reckon. But we it's finally the Quartararo got it. of the first half of last year, isn't it? Yeah, so, definitely. But, but, but more consistent. Mm. You know, I mean, I know we keep saying if buts and maybes for certain things, but if Hareth would have, if his arm would have been fine at Hareth, we'd be looking at a dominant Fabio Quattro. We'd have yeah. had him on the podium five times in a row. We'd have had him at winning at Qatar, winning at um Hareth, 
No, not Hareth, mm. sorry. Uh, Porter um. now. Dropping Hareth because of the um, the arm pump but would have won. Like, yep. There's no question. There wouldn't have even been like, oh, maybe they got P2 and Miller had a caught. It. No, if would have won. That yeah. gap would have just gone even more. Because mm-hmm. it's, uh, a, it's a Yamaha track as well. Yeah. So. A podium at a horrid Le Mans, but a great result. And mm. then winning at Magella, that would have been, you know, if you're Peco Bagnai and you crashed out Magello from that Fabio Quattraro, you'd be saying, well, you know, that, that it might not be it, but that's, you know, they'll I mean, be blessing it, themselves but with the whole probably, thing. I'm probably jinxing it, but if he continues on the form, he is, it'll go down as one of the best, like, championship rides or Don't, performances. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything. I, I'm, I'm I've not. jinxed him now, but... Well, I mean, of all races to come up next, we've got Barcelona, which everyone knows Fabio goes right and well with. I mean, he won there well, last this is, year. Technically, this is his home race as well, geographically speaking. I think it's the closest yeah. one to his, to where he lives. So, I mean, he lives in Andorra for anybody that's yeah. wondering. So, yeah, I mean, geographically, yeah, it's probably the cl- that or Aragon. Actually, I think I think Aragon's closer. Aragon's a little mm, bit more northwest I, I of Barcelona, think, or it might be close. I don't know. Actually, I think Catalonia when they were there last year, they did mention that this was. Technically, is like geographical home race due to yeah. how close it was. I think it is Catalonia, so he will want to put a show in there because he, I mean, he even though he has a French flag, he has a bit of a Spanish Spanish twang. I think. Oh yeah, but, sorry, I do apologize. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of yeah, I'm thinking of Aragon's a little bit more further east, but yeah, Catalonia mm. will be more local to him. Yeah, but of all races to come up next for for Fabio. You'd be thinking on this form, I want a track I'm comfortable at and a track the bike works at. They're quicker on straight line speed than what they were last year. They've got the whole shot device, which let's just point out that looks great on Fabio. That, is, that front new front hole shot has helped massively. It might it not seems... be a Ducati hole shot device, but it's a hole shot device and it works. Mm. Um, so that was it. I mean, even if you're not a, a Yamaha or a Fabio fan, it. it it's frustrating to see somebody get pole and then get dragged back by a bike that can't start. So mm. he kind of values his work that he puts in on poles because is it four in a row now for pole position? I think he's on. Um, so I not only so, is he, yeah, yeah, not only has he won four of the last, not four of that, been on the podium four of the last five races. He's got pole the last four races, and I'll be honest, I probably will jinx him here, but I think he'll get pole at Catalonia. Having said that, I have looked at the weather forecast for Catalonia and there is more and more... Well, there's there's a lot of rain forecast for Friday, a little less on Saturday and a little less from Saturday to Sunday. But it, we're still quite a way away, yeah. It could change. Mm. But if it's dry, if it's bone dry, my money is on Fabio Quattraro for a pole position. If it's wet, I'm going to say Peco, maybe. A wet race slash kind of dampish race is kind of a... Fabio's Achilles heel, really, and the Yamahas, in a way. Yeah. Um, it, so I mean, it's something he's probably... Yeah, they made a great step avoid. at Le Mans. So. Oh, yeah, massively, massively. I think Fabio was, was over the moon. He couldn't have been happier mm. to finish where he did, you know, in that, in that weather. Because um, he knows the bike isn't, yeah. isn't what it is. And yeah, I don't think, yeah, and he, I don't think he's the most confident of riders in the wet either. <clears throat> um, no. So quickly, I'll just run through the the race results, and then we could pick a few out that mm. um, that you, you might want to talk about. So um, I'll do it the usual way from Matt. I know I've mentioned a couple anyway. So we've got non finishers being Bastianini. That's a whole thing in itself. Bastianini. I mean, that honestly was like the 
I don't want to say the weirdest thing I've ever seen in MotoGP, but I, I literally, I, I was so pumped for the race start, and then all of a sudden, Bastianini just crashes, and you have no idea what from, and then you look back at the images, and you've got um, Zarco, almost not, not brake checking him, because everyone's kind of, you know, putting weight into the front tyre and whatnot to warm that front tyre up, or to, you know, lower that front device, or whatever it may be. And Bastianini doesn't see anything and goes straight into the back of him. So that was a weird one. We've got no finishes in Marquez, obviously Bagnaya, Rins, which Josh will have his own five-minute segment for that. Um, who else we got? Nakagami as a no finisher. So um, who, fin- who crashed at the chicane towards the end? So in finishes, we've got 17th Marini, 16th Morbidelli, 15th Savadori, three Italians. Then we've got Marquez in 14th, Pirro in 13th, 12th, Paul Spargro, 11th, Ikela Quona, 10th, Rossi, 9th, Petrucci, 8th, Vinales, 7th, Espargaro, 6th, Jack Miller, 5th, Brad Binder, 4th, Johan Zarco, 3rd, Joan Mayer, 2nd, Miguel Oliveira, and 1st, Fabio Cotteraro. So, Josh, Alex Rins, take it away. All right, well, first of all, I'll just mention that Bastidini stunt. Yeah. For was... anybody wondering, I, I have just explained this, but Josh was just doing something with lighting and whatnot. So yeah, yeah I've explained what happened, so you can give your opinion lighting. on um, what the hell that was. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. it was... <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't really laugh at it, but it was just, it was just crazy. I don't, I don't know. Obviously, he was trying to warm his his front tire up, but ended up doing stoppy. But I mean, we got to be fortunate with Zarco. That could have been a lot worse than it ended up. I mean, Zarco was. In the firing line there, and obviously it it he was his salad box got a bit damaged. Yeah, um, I do like that, that was... nickname that they give for the, yeah. the, the Ducati, but <laughs> it, it was one of those things that like it's almost like if I said to my dad, "Here you go on on the on the MotoGP game, have a whirl on the on the on the wall." Yeah. that's what would happen. He would go yeah. into the back of somebody lining up. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I like just saw it and I was like, yeah. "What's what's gone on? <laughs> what's happened?" <laughs> It is something like you'd see on the MotoGP game. It's crazy. But, yeah, I think Zarco was lucky to get away with, with that little damage. I mean, obviously, aero-wise, it probably affected him a little bit. But yeah, I wouldn't I say it... you could go as far as to say, oh, that's why he finished where we, like, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. where yeah. we did. Um, no finishes-wise, then. We'll, we'll work up from that just again, just to kind of repeat. I've, I've read the results out, so we'll go Mark. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's pulling his air out of the minute, isn't he, Mark? Mark Marquez. I mean, and he knows the bike's not the same, but he's not the same. No, I'm not, I'm not saying for for future. I'm just saying. I, I know everyone. I'm stating the obvious. Marquez is not the same rider, but he is trying to ride the wheels off of it just to try and get to any form of normality, isn't he? He is, and he. he you you wanted to say to him like, Don't just chill out. Just take this season as a season of just getting used to racing again, getting race fit. Just, you know, I think he came back, a lot of people probably did as well, thinking, you know what, a couple of races to get my head on and I can go for the championship and then it'll be the greatest comeback that there ever was in MotoGP. But I think that, you know, he should give up that ghost if he he probably yeah. already has. His and, body's saying, hang yeah, on a minute, you know what I mean? Just, just focus on finishing races, preferably in the points. But just focus on finishing races, getting back on, get his head on, you know, and 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 focus on next year. 
whereas where the bike will be more to his liking because he'll have been on it, you know, for this season. So, yeah, yeah I think it's frustrating with races. Yeah, definitely frustrating. Um, I think with Marquez, it's like if he starts finishing races, even if it it means taking a tenth off to finish a race, he will then know if that bike, well, where the bike's capable as opposed to his fitness, and then building both of them together at the same time. Mm. But at the minute, he's trying to build up his fitness with a bike that you don't know what it's like with Marquez because he's yet to really finish on it as at the, at the fitness he is now because it, it's a different fitness level now as it was in Portimao. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. that arm will for three or four weeks or whatever it is has improved. You would like to think so. Yeah, Marquez frustrating. Bagnaya we've covered, and now, yeah, this here is, we are. This is Josh Wilson's favorite part of every podcast. Yep, it's Alex Ring shouldn't be so every I, podcast, but it is. I, I'm just gonna just sit and enjoy this. If I had popcorn, <sighs> I'd open it. I'd just have popcorn you for think hours. The reason. It's another oh, just rings again. He, he annoys me, and the reason he annoys me and probably annoys a lot of people is because we know what he's capable of. We know that what that bike's capable of. We know he's pound for pound, he's faster than me. I think personally, but that's a statement. I believe he is out of the two. If you've just gone on pure pace, are you talking race pace? Are you talking one lap? Are you talking probably? Probably race pace. I'd say Rins is better, but that, that you know, race pace doesn't make a race, does it? There's, there's expect... more elements, you know. <laughs> I didn't there's more elements you, to it. You of all people to come out with that. I didn't expect any praise. I was just expecting bang, bang, bang. No, in, but this in, is this like... is why I'm so frustrated with him because yeah. of what he's capable of. It is yes, frustrating because is... he's quick. He's so quick. You know. Yeah, Mir is better, more consistent, probably better, better at managing his race pace. But again, with with Rins, he's what he's capable of and what he can do on that bike. We know it. You know, we've seen him at his, you know Silverstone twenty nineteen, for instance. You know, against a Marquez, which was the old Marquez. That was, you know, if the, anything, the, that's the best Marquez I've ever seen. Yeah, twenty nineteen Marquez was untouchable in in and, sense, like. <laughs> So we know what he's capable of, and I don't know what's going on now. I think we said last episode that I was on that it could be a slippery slope for him because he's going to be pushing more, he's going to be trying harder, and every crash he has, it's a snowball effect because he'll come back, you know, pushing harder the next race, and it'll lead to another crash. And this one was overtaking his teammate or trying to. No, it, it, was, it wasn't, was, was it? It, it was. Oh, um... was it? It was behind me, and what would ha- what happened was they were they, they were back and forth for a while, and then it was towards the it was I think it was four laps to go, and Mir was with uh, Oliveira, and it was just a case of Rins. I think he'd saved his tyres a little bit to then make a bit of like a last couple of laps look like push to mm. maybe nick a third place or or something like that. So I think it was a case of take his time, take his time, but then instead of like utching it up another couple percent in terms of what he's using per lap, he just jumped straight to like quite a like you know a significant amount, and yeah. then grabbed that front brake going into the last corner. And ah, oh, it's one of them. It is frustrating because, like you say, there is no doubt that Alex Rins is one of the best riders in the world. He is. He is one hundred percent one of the best riders in the world. But yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, like you say, snowball effect wise. Is he going to push even more at Barcelona? Mm. 
Because if he doesn't push as much, is he going to be as quick as Mia? And then Mia's got another result up on him. And then yeah. that's making Suzuki even more so say, well, why would he keep you if Mia's going to mm. beat you every race? Yeah. So with Rins, it's just it's frustrating. It is, it's tough because he, he's still got a monkey on his back, I think, of last season, where he probably mm. knows he should have, could have become world champion. But his teammate pipped him to it. And now he's just got, you know, the championship's over and done with. There's no way, hope in hell, that he's going to he's gonna come back and win that. Now, you know, you could argue maybe him beating his teammate in the standings is, is too far gone. Uh, yeah, but he I needs think. to get, he needs to just, I don't know, he needs to get, he needs to do a Mark Marquez, like a full reset, I think. Him and, him and Marquez are in the same kind of boat where they need to do full resets and just focus on finishing races and trying to get into the points. And that's about it for now. Until he's got his confidence back and his mojo back, then he can start fighting again for the, you know, the podium places and the wins. But he's stuck in a rut and the more he tries to get out of it by pushing himself, the more he's going to find him crashing, really. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I do think it is a snowball effect with... With Rins, and I think people see that in him. I think if you're Mia, you you can be behind him with five laps to go and think, well, if I get in front of him once, he's going to push like hell to get back in front of me. So almost force him into a mistake. Or if I was Mia, for example, if I was Mia and I'm leading a race and I've got Alex Rins half a second, a second behind me, and, you know, we're, we're kind of pushing, but not really. I would just inch out three tenths and make him go, mm. right, I've got, to, I've got to make three or four tenths. You know, I've got to keep with him because I know he's going to crash. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's <laughs> mental games that, mm. that other riders will know. Push him a little bit over the, the limit and he'll not be able to control it at the minute. But I can't defend him in any way because that's what it seems like, doesn't it? It's... It's, over the limit, he can't hack it. It's just, I thought he cracked it because he got through the first half of the race without crashing. And I was, you know, I was thinking while watching, I was thinking, rider of the day, let's see. Well, Alex Rins, he's staying on the bike, so he could be a, he could be in contention for rider of the day. But again, then in the second half of the race, he bins it like four lap, five laps to go or whatever. So it's, it, honestly, I mean, it, I don't know. It's frustrating. Hopefully, this is the last run I have about Alex Rins. For but some I have reason, a feeling... I've got a very strong feeling that this will be one of <laughs> yeah. many. Yeah. Well, I'll say one. This will be f- the fourth of many rants about Alex Rins. But honestly, I know we joke about it, but like it is fully justifiable because it's just, yeah, it, it's it's so frustrating with with Rins. Um, in terms of. Maybe other people to speak about. We've got Morbidelli in 16th. Obviously, he got held. I know we've got Marini in 17th, but mm. um, Morbidelli in 16th is more significant in terms of he got caught up in that Marquez incident and never really... I know he dropped back because of it, but well, yeah. he didn't look very... You know, he didn't look like he was pushing like hell or anything like that. And even anyway, he wasn't... You know, he weren't flying, was he, Morbidelli? He weren't... Went flat. Where was he? Like P seven, I think he was when it when it happened. Yeah, but it was just like more that. bad luck because just yeah, don't forget, true. don't forget last at France, where mm. again he was caught up in an incident. He, he's just this is not his season, and I guess sometimes riders have it where they just go through a full season 
and all they have is bad luck after bad luck. And I feel like this is this is Morbidelli's season. But where where there might maybe be a redemption ride later in the season where he gets a podium or a win, but I feel like for now this this is him. He's gonna be languishing around the you know, the being a back marker. Um, which is a sh- for someone like Morbidelli, he's not where he should be at all. No. Um, I think on that point, it's worth saying that could be another thing to to speak about in terms of his frustration. Maybe looking at moving factory, maybe mm. wants a new start and a factory team with a new bike. You know, uh, mm. it it would definitely be a bike that would suit Morbidelli. The the inline would definitely suit Morbidelli more as like I mean, Pecco is a smooth rider. Don't get me wrong, but. Morbidelli is a very, very smooth rider. So I think an inline bike suits him more than a V4. Um, but Suzuki, Morbidelli, what do you think? I mean, I know we touched on it earlier, but I think it could work. But whether it ends, I mean, it's not happening. We don't know if it's happening or not. But let's say it does hypothetically. What's your thoughts on Morbidelli, Suzuki? Yeah, I could see, I could see that working a treat. But again, my issue is at the moment with Yamaha looking at Rins, you know, would with his form, they might think, do we want him, really? But I guess, what do they say? Classes per- form is temporary, classes permanent or something like that. So, you know, yeah. it's it's very much... I could see Morbidelli. I can picture it now, Morbidelli on the Suzuki. It seems yeah. to fit. And I could see him do really well on that Suzuki. Um, whether that'll happen, I, I don't know. I think it all depends on what Yamaha want to do with Morbidelli and what they want to offer him. Um, again, I mean that VR forty six team with the with the extra Ducatis. Um, well, it looks like it's going to be Ducati. Uh, extra two Ducati bikes with with Rossi potentially retiring. We could see him jump over to a Ducati bike. Do you think? Yeah, Maybe? we could. I mean, it's definitely a possibility being in the VR forty six team. Um, but again, if he doesn't, is Morbidelli going to sit there and say, "I'm I'm happy to be B team still." No, I, me personally, I think Morbidelli's sitting there now, not thinking VR forty six, not thinking Patronus. He's thinking either Yamaha give me a seat or Suzuki give me. I, I want factory, a little mm. bit like what Petrucci was like a few years back at Pramac. Yeah, saying, yeah. You know, I, and to be fair, Petrucci had not won a race before he went to factory Ducati, but he pulled out results that you thought, you know what, you might have a, you might have a fair point. Morbidelli's won a rate three races. Yeah. Won three races on Petronas on the B team Yamaha bike, if you want to call it that, on a, on an old bike as well. Mm. So if Petrucci warranted a, a seat at Ducati and winning three races on an old bike doesn't value at least to have just to have the new bike, let alone being a factory team, they're still putting him to one side, saying you go on the 2019 bike, whether that's for testing or data or whatever. You're Morbidelli. You're saying well. Hang on a minute. Why am I not getting the new bike? Do you know what I mean? He, so he was a victim of his own success, wasn't he? It was simply, yeah. oh, you did well on that 2019 bike. Have it again. You can or have a modified on it. one. Yeah. yeah. Whereas it was like Rossi and and the rest were like, oh, you you lot didn't do too good on that bike, so we'll give you a brand new, <laughs> brand spanking new one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if you're more deadly, you're pretty annoyed. But yeah, yeah, it's so, a weird one with that. But um, mo- moving forward with results, Salvador 15th. Alex Marquez, 14th. Piro, 13th. I mean, you know, to turn up and just get points is always a good result. In yeah. My eyes. I think I if, mean, you, if you wild was, card, you get points. You've done really well. I think it was 
he was hovering around the ninth place mark at one point. Yeah. And I was yeah. thinking that was really good result for someone who, like you said, just, just turns up and gets on a bike. Yeah, I mean, um, he had that little runoff, didn't he, through mm, turn. Oh, four, yeah, that, that's turn. what. Yeah, turn two, was it? Turn four. That it was the four. next. Yeah, it was the yeah. next one. That's what let him, yeah. that's what cost him, but it's still a good, still solid for someone yeah. who's turned up. Again, um, Paul, though, if you want to move yeah, on Paul, to Paul. Paul P12. I think, for anybody listening, we've said it before, we've hinted at it. I think it would be worth doing, even if it might not be a two hour thing. It won't be a two hour thing, but. Just a small podcast. We're just gonna when we've got time and we've got the the ability to do it. Maybe with all three of us eventually, we'll do a podcast on Honda because this mm. year it's worth doing with everything going on Honda. Whether it's Marquez, Aspargo, testing the bike, moving forward, their talent pool, everything with Honda. There's so much to di- like digest with that. You wouldn't we wouldn't have time tonight to sit there and do that. Um, but P12, I mean. Highest, highest Honda, if you like. Yeah, yeah that's you know, true. You know, you, you, people can sit there and say Nakagami was here and Marquez was there, but you've got to finish. And, you know, P12 mm. behind Lacona. And I know we've spoken a lot about Lacona maybe moving down or moving out or wherever, but the guy is starting to improve on results from the past. He like, is. He's, not, he is. he's not sitting outside with Savadori anymore with P16, P17, mm. anything like that. He's picking up some, you know, some handful of points in every race now. What seems to be, I mean, I could be wrong. It's two Is races, he, but it was Tech Three. Or did the Tech Three also get the chassis upgrade, or was it? I, this is just... the thing I can't quite remember. But again, it's uh, people say, "Oh, it's a better chassis," which, yeah, it looks like it. But you've still got to adapt to a brand new chassis then mm. for that weekend and get yeah. it over the line over the whole race distance. Someone like Lacona on. In Tech Three, with no, you know, people got to remember they they're not getting full factory support. Mm. It's a separate team. PLA, I, I think that's a good result, really, in the grand scheme of things. You've beat every Honda. You, you know, yeah. you're in front of all the Hondas. Yeah. Um, you've beat people like your Alex Marquez's, Morbidelli's, Aspargaros. Pir- you know, yeah, it's like, just it, it is a strong result. result from him. Yeah, and result. it looks like he's a he's a slow burner. Is Lacona. And he's yeah. someone who maybe takes a bit bit longer to to get into a groove and to improve, but yeah. you know we could be seeing you know better things to come from him, um, yeah. which which will be interesting. But from uh, on the flip side, Rossi, I mean, first, first top ten, I suppose. Yeah, it was a first. Yeah, I was, I'm about to say it's first top ten. So this is, but for him, that's good. You know, that's a good result. At the minute, with how things are, I, yeah. I think Patronus are. I, I think I know. I know Morbidelli's had bad luck, and I know Rossi's had pretty poor luck when it comes to certain things, and you know stars haven't aligned for them. But in general, I don't think it's the same Patronus that we had last year in terms of how well they're doing as a team overall. Um, but P10, you know, it's green shoots, isn't it? It's it's a sign that he can be in that top 10. And he, you know, he didn't fluke it or anything like that. Rossi started to come to his own a little bit as laps went by and whatnot. And, you know, finished, what did he finish? A couple of seconds behind Petrucci, which P9, it's another good result. I mean, people yeah. sat there and said after Le Mans, you know, almost like it's wet. So it's kind of, a, you know, picking out of a hat with results with Petrucci and Lacona getting a good result. And 
you can say that, but at the same time, they got the results at the end of the day. And for a, a dry Mugello, which, you know, you're thinking Ducati, you're thinking Yamaha, you're thinking, you're not thinking Tech 3. For 9th and 11th, no. I, I, I think that's a great couple of results, really. I don't think, with the yeah. situation KTM have been in, they'll be happy with that. Really, really Definitely. happy with that. Yeah. Um, um, Vignales P8. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to speak on it too much because I'll end up pulling my hair out like you do with <laughs> Rins. But I think, to be fair to Vinales, he did say even after qualifying, he said, "Well, since FP1, we just have not. We've not had it. Whatever it is, we've not had it." And usually, it's a case of Vinales all the way up until Sunday morning. You think it, it could be. It could be today. Do you know what I mean? And then it's like, "Hang mm. on, what's happening?" But I mean, I was I was listening to another this weekend. I don't know what it is. Yeah, well, I was listening to another podcast on MotoGP, and they were saying obviously that Vinales has said that bike has not been the same really since the first race of the season, and that he doesn't know what's wrong with it. Go and ask the engineers, kind of thing. But you just I don't know. You'd feel like surely by now, you kind of should be looking at a I don't know, almost like. Is it is it Vinales himself then? Are they looking for this Gremlin in the in the bike which isn't there? I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, we know Yamaha have had the problems, mm. and it's not been a case of you know people that might be fairly new to this might be thinking Yamaha have had you know the the lead, one guy's leading the championship, winning people are winning races. It in terms of problems, I'm talking where Yamaha were five six years ago. They've been through a very bumpy patch for Yamaha. A little bit like what Honda are going through at the minute, where the results are just all over. There's no consistency. It's very up, down, up, down. One rider wins, then the next rider wins. But that rider that won first will be miles off. Like Vinales wins. You think, great, you know, Yamaha are back sort of thing with Vinales. Quattararo wins the next week. And then after that, it's like, well, where's Vinales gone? So... I don't know, very frustrating for Vinales. It, it was a bit confusing in terms of like thinking, is it late rates pace again, where like he comes to his own again in the last five laps, but we didn't really see that. Um, but but P7 is, mm-hmm. and I don't want to say your man, but I mean, he's in your fantasy team. And we do we do all rate Alicia Spargo. That's a, that, you can't, you can't complain, can you? Really? Not with seventh. I mean, we know that uh, Aprilia. This is probably more a track it is it is good at. Um, yeah, and its qualifying results show, did show that it, it's got some pace around here. But I mean, the, for race pace, yeah, seventh Aprilia are making steps, massive strides. Luckily, obviously, he didn't win because I don't know what you said you'd do if he did win. But I think you were happy to see him drop down the yard. There, to be honest, I can't remember what my yeah. I did wager some. I think I said something like I would. What was it? Oh, I said I'd drive you down to Mugello for the next year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, thankfully, I'm not driving a full, what, 4,000-mile round trip down to Florence <laughs> or Tuscany, wherever you want to class it as. But, um, but yeah, jokes aside, it's it's another great result. I mean, the thing that I kind of feel bad for with Aprilia is I wish they had the exact same Alicia Spargo, but I wish he was, like, 25 I wish he had yeah. the years on him that in the next five years he'll still be in his prime and getting better. And mm. I, don't get me wrong, I think Alicia Spargo still improves every year. 
I, I'm not saying he, he's getting worse. That is not what I'm saying. But let me just double check. I would guess, hazard a guess at Aspargaro being 31, mm. 32. So he's going to be 32 in July, which, you know, Rossi's 42, but mm. that's Valentino Rossi. Do you know what I mean? Alicia Spargo at 32. He he's might, not, you know, a few it, years, maybe. He might improve that bike to be near that podium for a couple of years' time, let's say. And that's that's pushing it. But let's say a Spargo Aprilia can get near a podium and it's like a case of as and when in a couple of years' time. That's when mm. a Spargo is going to start feeling the age. And yeah. That bike's I mean, gonna it's gotta it can't be built for a Spargo forever. Do you know what I mean? It's you've yeah, got to build a, a neutral bike at some point. Well, I mean late twenties is kind of that sweet spot between kind of experience and and kind of skill, prime. I wanna say, or you know, prime of, of your body and what it can recover from and, and improving improvability. But if you look at Aprilia as a team, I mean he's, there's still rumors that Dovi might sign or, you know, be part of the team. Official um, test rider now, though, for yeah. the rest of the year, which is it's but a step. It is a step, and they need that experience. But then you've got, let's say, he does sign. You'll have two riders in the thirties, yeah, and they haven't. I don't know if they've got a long term plan for who they want. I mean, they need to get the youth in there. They need to get some some you know young bloods in there, and they haven't. Obviously, they haven't got like a motor two, motor three program for what I know. Um. So it is tough. I mean, obviously, Savadori you've got, but I mean, we know what Aprilia yeah. are like. They're very cutthroat. Yeah, and... they, they have got the Grassini link, which they had before. So, you know, mm. that sort of thing. But it wasn't like uh, if you rode for what the team Digi is in, if anyone's thinking what team it is, Digi and Moto2, the Grassini team. It's not like you race for them, and if you do well, you'll get straight to Aprilia. It's more just mm. that kind of link in between. But the only long-term plan I can see Aprilia going for is if they get Dovi on it and they've got a Dovi that can ride that bike as well as a Spargo can in terms of because the bike's made for a Spargo if you get two riders in that top seven top six top eight regularly it will attract then younger riders to then yeah. join them for that youth to come in but it mm. it's it's throwing the dice at it because if Dovi gets on it and then they just start going towards Dovi, and then the bike doesn't really fit either of them. They get the age out the way, and then it's like we're back at square one. It's a it's a massive failure. But yeah, it, if Dovi gets on it and he does great on it, like in terms of Aprilia standards, you never know. Somebody in Moto Two mm. like a Joe Roberts, who I'm not saying's the answer, but youth wise, might say, well, you know what, that bike might be competitive. Yeah. And he might, they might get a 25, 24 mm. year old. I don't know how old Joe Roberts is, but let's say 25. He might go there and be like, you know, he might, he might do great, but they've got to get, like you say, they'll have two riders in the, what? Spargo will be 32. How old's Dovey? 34? He must be in his mid 30s now. He's got to be approaching 34, 35. Got to mm. be. So it's not the, ideal, but it, if in it an works, ideal world, they would have a second team. But I don't know how likely that will ever be. Yeah. For Aprilia, the the issue and is Aprilia need to be successful to warrant a second team. Like Suzuki, yeah. You but, know Suzuki have got they've they've kind of got a warrant now to say we can have a second team. I mm. think. Um, obviously, losing Davide Brivio is a big sort probably of, put that back a little loss. bit. Yeah, a but, little bit. 
But Aprilia, for me, if they have a second team, it's like, well, with the full factory guys working on the factory team, they're not, other than Aspargo, the bike isn't doing wonders. Aspargo's doing wonders on it. A B team, like, how well are they going to, for me, they'll just be riding Yeah, I was just thinking, I was thinking more of, you know, blood in some youth. Yeah, while having the experience the on thing. the, the yeah. factory bikes, but but then you've got to attract people to want to ride around at the back. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's what I mean. It's, it's a difficult one with the Prilia, but in terms of result wise, P seven for a Spargo, yeah. I, I, it it could be rider of the day. I don't know, but it, you'd be up there for a contender for it. Uh, we've got Jack Miller in sixth, which a lot of people and I mean I know Neil Hodgson's a Ducati man, and I know he's always going to defend Ducati in every sense in the world. The BT Sport commentator. <laughs> But for me, I don't, I see, I mean, yeah, he's picked up points. I think that's a big thing that we've learned from last year, that picking up points is so, so important. Yeah. But I can't see Jack Miller being happy with P6. Mm. I thought Jack Miller would be podium definite going into this weekend. I thought Ducati, it'll be Pecco, Zarco, um, Quattararo and Miller. That'll be the four that'll fight for the yeah. podium. And it- P6... Mm, I don't know. I think, again, two sides to this one. I think because of it's a Mugello and it's a Ducati and it's Jack Miller who's on form, apparently, you know, it's he would he will be disappointed along with a lot of Ducati fans that he wasn't further up and not fighting for a podium slash win. But I think he probably realised at some point in the weekend that this wasn't his race to win and that... He, he was better off just trying to, you know, get his head down and, and collecting some points. So I think he probably, I don't know, I think he probably will be happy with sixth because it seems to me like he realised at some point during the weekend that this wasn't his race. And I think that's when to usually, win. yeah, to win. I think that's when usually you seem quite happy finishing further down the order. It's more more yeah. on race day when they think I can win this and they finish sixth. That's when they're pissed off. Yeah, but, I, I just looked at it more so in that the other guy in the team's crashed out and you finish P6 and then you go, right, well, where are the other Ducatis finishing? You've got Zarku mm. who's knocking on the factory door, finishing in front of both of them. That's yeah. more so what I'm thinking. Like I know Miller yeah. just had a new contract and I'm not hinting at Zarko replacing Peko. I'm just saying when you've got the B team bike finishing in front of you, for me, I don't think you could ever class that as a good result for a factory rider. Yeah. I I'll can't, mean, you know what I mean? It, it's like last year when, if Morbidelli won on that 2019 bike, you kind of looked at all the 2020 Yamahas and went, well, hang on a minute, like a 2019 bike just be all three mm. of you 2020 bikes. Like, what's, you know, what's going on? I know they've all got 2021 bikes for Ducati, for Pramac and, and Factory, but at the end of the day, they're on the same bike and Zarko's beaten. So I don't know. It's a, it's a good handful of points, don't get me wrong, but. I think people were glossing up Miller's finish for what it was. Yeah, um, I think I think Banyaya possibly crashing was a saving grace for Jack Miller because he brought yeah. it home and because Banyaya probably would have finished on the podium and then it would have made Jack Miller look a bit more... Maybe you're right, yeah. I think if Pekka like, would have got yeah. on the podium, you'd have been like, well, Jack's P6, that's quite... Mm. Um, moving up, Binder P5. It's nice to see him back up here. Yeah, there. I know. I mean... These KTM's, we can talk about both of them really, because these KTM's, 
this kind of chassis upgrade they've had or this tweak to the chassis and the the new fuel that they've got now or they're using it seems to have that that combination seems to have you know something's clicked something's clicked i mean whether this was just a total one-off and they're going to go back to the old ways but i don't think so i think Hmm. this is the ktm we should have seen at the beginning of the season i dare say um definitely because we're seeing kind of from Oliveira and binder this is like last season this is kind of results we're pulling out last season um so it's welcome, actually. It's a welcome because it, it obviously it adds a bit more spice to it because there's more in the mix now for for podi- podiums and a race win. Um, yeah, I'd, I mean, what can we say for Brad Binder? Though it, it sounds daft to say it, even though he finished fifth, it was a quiet, quiet race. I thought for yeah. him, yeah, yeah, um, it was. But still, if it doesn't matter if it's quiet or if it's exciting for Brad Binder, he'd be well happy with fifth and KTM yeah, obviously as well. And it's just one of those that fifth place for Binder, like you say, you'd be very happy because you know that there's been a step made forward. It's not like mm. they've finished fifth and gone, how have we ended up here? They know mm. that this combination that they've gone with, with the new chassis and whatnot, is a step forward, which is great to see. I mean, me and Matt were talking about it last week. I'm not sure if you listened to the last podcast, but yeah. I was saying that for me, Oliveira, before this year, I had Oliveira as top five contender for this this year's championship. And it's annoying because I think... I wouldn't be daft in saying if that bike would have been the bike they started with, we'd have seen Oliveira challenge for a win at Portimao or definitely podium. Mm. And it just goes to show you've got an Oliveira that before this weekend, I mean, Oliveira finished, what, P2? He was on nine points before this race and he's at 29 now because he finished second. It it just goes to show with Oliveira. I, I, I toot the Oliveira horn on a regular, but that guy... Like I said earlier, yes, he fits KTM and he does all that and, you know, fits the glove perfectly. But that guy is one of the quickest guys in in the paddock. For me, I think he's unbelievable. So it's nice to see Oliveira get a bike that he deserves. Because obviously, Oliveira did an extra extra year on the KTM Tech 3 team, didn't he? If you remember, and he was kind of peeved off because Binder got fast-tracked straight to the factory team. So he's kind of had to go through a bit of the the sluggish bike to get to the the main bike. Won a couple of times on the Tech Three, gone to the main one, and then it's like, oh, it's an absolute nail to start off with. But mm-hmm. now they've actually got a decent chassis on it and whatnot. It seems like they've turned the corner. So yeah, in terms of both KTM's, we'll move through it. Binder P5, Zarco P4. I think tires wise, he just he did everything he could to hold on to Quattararo. Tyres kind of used up a little bit trying to do that. And then overall, I think that KTM with Oliveira and Mir, just too much for him, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, probably disappointing for Ducati. This is a race where they, they should be on the podium. Oh, yeah. If not winning. And... It's disappointing for Ducati not to be on a podium at an mm. Italian track. Full stop. You know, at home, you want to be on the podium. You, yeah. The, the big wigs of Ducati will have been there. Exactly. Um, there, there would be no Italian anthem on the podium, and it's just unacceptable for Ducati. Um, again, he had that little little damage to the to the salad box, but I don't think it made all that difference really in the grand scheme of things. I just, like yeah. I said, I think his tyres just just kind of failed him. Come the last few laps, or the you know the last third of the race. 
and that was that. And with the form of Fabio and and with Oliveira and, and Suzuki charging through, as we know, Joan May, we know he likes a late, a late kind of race charge. You know, but it was it was destined that he was not going to finish on the podium, really. But still, a fourth place, I think he'll he'll have took, taken that definitely. Yeah, I think P four is a great result. I mean, three and a half seconds off Quattro. I think if you said to Quattrararo for the last five laps, don't slack off, keep going. I think it would have been five, six, mm. sec- six seconds or whatever. But you could tell Fabio in the last three laps did the right thing, took an inch off and just said, let's just cruise around, bring it home and, you know, yeah. win the race. But um, in the grand scheme of things, being half a second off Jean Mir and Oliveira, because they were right next to one another pretty much, weren't they? Mm. Um, good result for Zarco. Disappointing, like you say, for a Ducati not to be on the podium. but. On the podium, we had three different manufacturers. We had a Suzuki, a KTM, and a Yamaha, which is nice to see. I do quite like to see when there's three different manufacturers there because the the competitiveness kind of is emphasised. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you won't. You, you know that there's going to be different teams there or thereabouts. It, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to see Yamaha on one, two, three, but in the same sense for the sport, it's nice to see when you've got three different manufacturers on there. So yeah. we had Joan Mir, Oliveira, and Quattararo for the podium. Do you want to talk about the incident? (laughs) I do. First of all, I will mention there was a pic. I saw a picture, and it was of Fabio, Miguel, and Joan in the Leopard days. Was it? Yeah, yeah, I saw that as well. Twenty six. Quite good, actually. Yeah. uh, Oliveira had just been promoted to the Leopard. Then they had a Leopard Moto Two team with Danny Kent, which is a name that's a throwback. Yeah. Oh God, um, I don't like that name. Yeah, let's um... let's skip by that. But there was there was. (laughs) Oliveira in the Moto2 uh, team. Then you had Quattararo, Mia, and I think, if memory serves me right, it would have been Locatelli as well, On the who's, who's just won the World Supersport uh, Championship last year and is now racing in World Superbike. But in terms of those three on the podium, they've all come through you know, mm. in that Leopard system, which was quite cool. I did see the same thing earlier. I was going to me- mention that, so it's a good it thing you brought cool. that up. Yeah. It was really but cool. But it's yeah, move... three great riders in, in terms of talent wise. They're three that you could just they've got that thing that I mentioned earlier, haven't they? Those three. They they've got it. They're Definitely. they're not there by fluke or by not I don't it's not F one, but not with money or you know, they they've not they've not fluked the way there. They those three are for Suzuki, Juan Mir's the man, obviously, because he's world world champion. Quattararo at the minute is Yamaha's man, and Oliveira even though he might not have a new contract, there's a reason. There's a reason that he's come through with KTM and is where he is now. Like, you know. So yeah. But onto the incident of a lovely bit of track limits, which I'm sure Matt is <laughs> again. It's same thing with you with Rins. He's in a cold sweat thinking about it. But any thoughts on that, Josh? Uh, no. I'm just reading there. Apparently, Pramac argued that. Zarko should have taken second, and them two demoted down to third and fourth. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, and then they kind of with they withdraw, didn't they, from the the thing that they put forward or something? I think they went to like appeal it, and then they withdrawed from. It. I can't. I don't know why. Maybe maybe they found out Zarko had done the same thing and been like, oh, actually, let's let's not say anything. But it was so weird because again, I, I, for me, I think it should have just stayed how it was because there was no advantage gained. He did. Yeah. He wouldn't have known. Based on where the tire was, that it was on the green. Same for Mir, and no advantage gained. So for me, they should have just kept the mouth shut and been like, "No advantage gained, leave it." 
Yeah, I mean, opinion. there was there was a switcheroo, one day, So it was, <laughs> what did it go? So Mia was second, and then they they went. Oh, actually, no, Mia, <laughs> Mia, um, Mia got track, well, yeah, track they, limits one as well. So let's yeah, they originally again. went. Yeah, there was like Oliveira's gone on the green, demote him, and Oliveira was kind of going round and you know shaking hands with Mia and everything. Everyone was saying, "Well, there's no point celebrating Oliveira because you've been demoted." And the guys in the KTM factory were like pointing at the screen, like, "Oh, we've been demoted." And uh, Pit Byra, the one of the main guys at KTM, kind of shrugged but went, "Oh well, well, we're still on the podium." And then twenty seconds later, it was like, "Oh, actually, John Mir's been on the green." So <laughs> you know what? Let's just let's just get rid of all of that and swap them back around. So it's really weird how they how they went about it. Um, but yeah, track limits is. I think we could do like a ten hour podcast on track Probably limits, could. just like you know, just incidents in general, our opinions on them, and just everything to do with track yeah, limits. Yeah, it's, it's a bone of contention in it. And not just MotoGP, to be fair, F1 has, has their own issues with track limits, but yeah, uh, it's just something that I think will forever be an issue in MotoGP. I can never see it not being an issue until the day we get some kind of advanced sensors where, I don't know, it, I don't know. It, it, Go to grass. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's simply just go to grass. Or I'm not sure. Really, it's it's a tough one because it's it's like the offside rule in it, though. Like you said, when someone's offside because their kneecap is offside. But yeah, if, if, was, your, foot, no if your toes are offside, you you won't know that your toes are offside unless yeah. it's noticeably and offside. What advantage would you gain from that anyway? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean, when a goal's disallowed because someone's toe is offside. As if that that's yeah you know, that's the reason that they've got the goal or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, thankfully for me and you, we both support teams that we don't have to put up with that sort of stuff because we're yeah. that bad. We're not in <laughs> leagues that have that yet. Yet. No, so, that's good. Yeah. Um. We'll we'll take the non-VAR option, yeah. but if it, it does feel like that with the the track limits thing at the minute, where you it's like you don't know now in the last lap. You're going. Have I finished where I have finished, or did I go on the green without knowing? That's the kind of vibe it gives me, and it's the same thing with football, where you go, "We've scored, but have we scored? Let's wait a minute." Mm, it's, it's a horrible it, feeling. It you, you're sat there. You want you want to know when you've crossed the line. Yeah, that's where you finished. You know what I mean? Unless you've done something significantly wrong, then you know something might happen. But I it's think so tra- frustrating. I think track limits should be literally day and night. If you get what I mean, there should be no like blurred lines. It should be day and night, right? You've mm. you've 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 gone over track limits, but by you know quite a long shot, really. Yeah. Rather than oh, your tire just went over that track limits. You know your front tire just just edged over. It, it should be more right. Your whole bike, you've gone like a bike length or bike width beyond track limits. So there's your punishment. In a because way, I think... go on. I was just saying, because I think at that point, you're probably gaining some sort of advantage if it's that kind of margin. Yeah. But I think if it's literally centimetres, you're probably not gaining all that much, especially if you do it once. If you're doing it every, every lap, then obviously accumulation, you're going you're gonna to gain a lot. But if you've just done it once, it, I don't see much reason as to why you should be punished massively for it. Yeah, in a way, and I don't mean to keep relating it to football, but it's a little bit like if the ball is a millimeter in, like it's 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 in the six yard box, it's about to go in, but it's a millimeter on the white line. 
and it's not crossed the line, it's just about to, that's not a goal. But because mm. it's touching that white line, that's like saying, well, that's that's a goal because it's touched it. And for me, it, it would work the better the other way in that if your tyre was all the way across on the green, but a, a slight segment of it was touching the white, then you're still on track. You've got to be all the way off and yeah. all the way over onto the greens because then, then you'd be more inclined to think, yeah, no, I, I, am, I am on the green now. Do you know what I mean? But to have a yeah. snippet of your tyre on the green and be like, you're penalised for it, you wouldn't know. You know what I mean? You wouldn't, you wouldn't. know. And, and the speeds they're doing. I mean, these yeah. we're not a walking pace here where you could be like, oh, I must, I'm must, i uh, I'm on the edge now. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? The speeds we're doing, it's split second. And if you're it's, really going to react... Second, it's split thousands of a second. Yeah. We're not even talking seconds here. We're talking literally like yeah. bang, bang, like you don't know. And if you're going to try and react in that short space of time to not be on, you know, to not to not pass track limits, you're probably going to bin it because it's going to yeah. be that quick of a motion to be like, like you're going to be jarring the, the steering or something like that. So it's ridiculous, I think. It's, it's really ridiculous. And it's 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 definitely, it's ruining it in a sense that you can't quickly celebrate because, oh, no, we have to check track limits. It's, it is annoying. It's not track limits, but it's a little bit frustrating in the way of like, when we're on about, can you remember the Bagnaia qualifying thing with Portimao? Yeah. Where he's done nothing wrong because he won't know, he, he won't know looking the way he's riding yeah. that there's a yellow flag when they're being told in a way. It's like, you know, being told that the ball's crossed the line, but announcing it outside the stadium. You're not going to know, are you? You know what I mean? Like, you want to be told in front of you where you're playing that that's a goal. Same way with Bagnaya. He's turning left and he's going down a hill up into a hill. And then they're going, actually, we're going to put it on the right-hand side of the track where you're not looking that there's a yellow flag. He's never going to know. So it's frustrating. They need to sort stuff like this out because it's only going to go on for years and years if they don't just straight up put a rule in that makes sense. That's the, the important bit. Don't be putting these things in where a part of a tyre that you don't know if it's off is off and then you get penalised for something you won't know if you're doing it right or wrong. You shouldn't be penalised mm. on something you don't know if you're doing it right or wrong. In my opinion, you have to be secure enough to go, I know I've made a mistake there. And looking back, you can see there's a mistake. With the Oliveira and Mir thing, neither of them, last lap of a Grand Prix, at the speeds that they are going, are never in a million years going to know that the slightest bit of their tyre has touched the green. Never. No, not going to feel it. Not not going to see it. Obviously, not going to feel yeah, exactly. it. Not anything. You you're just not going to know. Exactly. It's, there's um... no. There's absolutely not even a chink. Not even a chink of a percentage that would suggest that there's a part of them that would know. None. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, another thing. Didn't did Brad Binder equal the speed record? As well, he did. He did. Yeah, yeah it was. Um, if my memory serves me right, I think it was twenty two hundred twenty five miles per hour, uh, two hundred twenty five point one or point four. I, I seem to forget, but mm. two hundred twenty five mile an hour. Ju- you know, just. I mean, two hundred twenty five mile an hour <laughs> on a KTM <laughs> as well. Insane, which is crazy. And Insane. I mean, I know they were talking up this new chassis and fuel, but <laughs> it must be something. They must have got a Ferrari engine in there or something, breaking some mm. rules. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing it and thinking it, it might be the Magello speed record, and then I thought back and I was like, "Well, actually, before the Zarco record, the the speed record I believe was 
Dovies or Petrucci's at Mugello. And I was like, no, no, that, that could actually be the all-time speed record. And then I looked at it and they were on about it. And I was like, that's a KTM. They've actually matched a Ducati, which Crazy. makes you think that now we're going to be going onto a straight and be thinking, well, that KTM ain't, you know, that that's not half bad. Like, you know, the Aprilia is quick in a straight line, but it, it lacks in top speed. Mm. But clearly Brad Binder don't lack in top speed because he's <laughs> he hit the limit. So, yeah, it was so, like, it came out of nowhere, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. I mean, not expecting that from a, a KTM, which is kind of Honda-inspired, is it not? I mean, you've, a got a, you've got a Honda man that, well, I say Honda man, you've got a, a ride, a test rider that's rode a Honda for mm. how many years have been at Honda? Danny Pedroza, like 10, ten, years? ten plus, yeah. ten plus years, do you know what I mean? So, you know, it, for Danny Pedroza to go quick, and he was quick on a Honda, you'd like to think he's brought some characteristics of it that are Honda-esque mm. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it's a bit bulkier than a Honda, though, isn't it? It's a bit bit stockier than a Honda, I would say. When I look at the KTM, I, I yeah. think the Honda's very slim line, but it's also very aggressive. So it looks a lot lighter, hence the... It looks like it's about 10 kilograms lighter than the KTM. Mm. But, yeah, it's got some kick to it, that KTM now, now oh, that we've definitely. seen it hit the, seen it. hit the speed record. Mm. But, as a whole, we'll round that off with um, the, the championship. And we've got Fabio, like you say on 105 points. There's Zarco in P2. We've got a French P1, P2 now with uh, Bagnai not finishing. Uh, we've got Zar- uh, Quattararo on 105 and Zarco on 81. That's the championship mm. status. So Quattararo cannot finish at Catalonia and Zarco can maybe get his first ever win and Quattararo would still be leaving the championship. But Bagnai is only two points behind Zarco. So maybe... Being Bagnaya, he maybe he's thrown his Joker card now and maybe he might not crash again and he's in a good position. He's still two points behind Zarco, but as you said earlier, Quattararo is the man now. He's, he is, he's in he the is. driving seat. I mean, we must not forget it's a marathon, not a sprint, so true. anything true. can still happen, especially in MotoGP, but um, it does... It, it, it is looking like, I don't want to say Quattararo could take his foot off the gas, but he doesn't need to be pushing it now. As, yeah, I disagree you know. with you in a way. I'd like to see Fabio maybe get like a 50-point gap and then make the likes of Miller and Mir and mm, you know, those kind of, and go, right, mm. let's go Then again, it. yeah, I was thinking then again, it is Catalonia coming up, so, or Catalonia, so it makes sense for him to push for this one. Yeah. Try and get a 50-point gap if you can or, you know, do the best you can there and... I, mean, I guess you'd want to go race by race on which is going to push yeah. and which is going to not push. For me, um, I see it as we've got this, Catalonia, this this coming weekend. Then we've got Saxon Ring, which for anybody that maybe doesn't know, is probably the least, well, it's not probably, it's the least Ducati track on the calendar. There's no yeah, big straight. That is, there's no you know aggressive kind of harsh corners that you can point and squirt the Ducati out of. It is very much a either smooth track or aggressive with the right bike, i.e. Mark Marquez on a Honda. It's the least Ducati track. But then we have Austria twice, essentially twice. So it could be a sense of these next two you'll see Yamaha maybe do well at. And an improved Yamaha at Austria, but Austria is 
a Ducati track. There's there is no question about that. That's that's a Ducati mm. track. Maybe a KTM track as well, considering yeah. Yeah. you know Oliveira's won there. But in terms of the Ducati Yamaha thing, I think it'd be six or one, half a dozen of the other. In that we see Quattraro maybe win at Saxon Ring. Maybe maybe he might not win at Catalonia, but he'll do well. And then Austria, you might see Yamaha struggle. They might have to take and concede a few points to Ducati. Mm. If, if if Yamaha, say if Quattraro finishes in front of Jack Miller at Austria, for me, that would be massive for the championship. Yeah. That would be huge. It for would. Yamaha to beat a Ducati around Austria would be massive. In, ter- in terms of just kind of letting them know that at your strongest track, we can beat you, that'd be huge. And then you'll have Assen coming up at some point. That'll be interesting. Yeah, in fact, I could be wrong, actually. Is it Assen before or after Austria? I think it's after. Let me get the calendar up. We have... I do tell a lie. It's Catalonia, Saxon Ring, then Assen. So that's three races you can see Yamaha doing all right at. Mm. Um, not necessarily Yamaha tracks. I'd say Catalonia is suited to a Yamaha. I'd say Saxon Ring isn't really suited to a one bike necessarily. It's just not suited to a Ducati. Assen, kind of, I'd say it's probably the most neutral track, really, in terms of any bike can win there at the at the big ones. I think um, it, on, on Assen, just quickly, I think if, if we're going to see Rossi pull out a result at any track, yeah, maybe, yeah. It should really be Assen, really, considering I mean, his form. It's one of his favourites, but, I mean... Yeah, good point, actually. Um, so yeah, then I'm excited two... for Assen. Yeah, I love Assen. Assen's always a great one. Um, Joey and our Discord will be uh, very happy with Assen <laughs> coming up. Uh, we've got two Austrian Grand Prix, then we've got Silverstone, which I can tell you, Josh, I will be going to Silverstone, so I will very be good. seeing you there. Yes. Um so yeah, in terms of the races we've got in front of us, it's kind of like a couple maybe to Yamaha, maybe Ducati can stamp the foot back down on it at Assen, possibly. Peko goes well round at, um, at Assen, and then we have two Austrian rounds. So maybe, who knows? I mean, we probably jinx it. Ducati will probably win at Saxon Ring, and Yamaha will probably win at Austria. Just whoever you want to do well, don't have a mini dream team. And then, oh, you find this yeah. team should be you should be okay. Yeah, leaning onto onto that just to finish off. I've just got my fancy team up, just to read the league out more than anything. I have moved up to fourth. I've seen, so I am doing something right. Um, just not putting Bagnaia in my team. We've got Ant Man Motorcycles in P one on six hundred and ten points. We've got Tiger Motorsport yourself in P two on five hundred seventy five. So we've got Ant Man's got a bit of a lead. Yeah, I had I had Bagnaia in mine. Don't let me down. Yeah, we've oh. got Rinse Tintin in P3. Myself in P4. Who is Rinse Tintin? Matt. I think that's is it, Matt. Is that Matt? Yeah. That is very poorly named for the uh, <laughs> points wise if he's got Rins. We've got um, Maddock Motorsport P5. I'm going to attempt this. We've got Takanaka Wakagami in P6. <laughs> um, 507 in P7. Buffalo Bills P8, 7765R in P9, Pandora's Box P10, and Danicol Motorcycle in P11. So, 
I think, to be honest with you, with the riders I've got, I'm hoping for a good day at Catalonia because if it rains, it might go to Ducati. I've got three Ducati riders. If it's dry, I've got Yamaha as my team and I've got Fabio on there. So I don't know anymore, Josh. I don't even want to try and promise myself a good week, but I'd like to yeah. think I'm going to have a good week at some point. I took out a Spargo and put in Quartararo, so I've got Oh really? Jack. I've got Peko Jack. Um Johan and now I've got Fabio in there. So, so we've got exactly the same team then. Pretty uh, oh we exactly. Yeah. But my silver and gold's are different, I can imagine. What's your team? Is your I team think... K- Suzuki or Ducati? Oh. No, I've got I Yamaha. So... I only went with Ducati due to numbers, but Yeah, to... I, I'm also went for Yamaha because I was like, if my Ducati riders do well, that's great. But then if all of those do bad and I have Ducati as my team, mm. I've then got no points for Ducati. So, um, so yeah, that'll be that. I think we've gone about just short of two hours. So we've yeah. covered everything in Magellan, we've covered one. all the rumours. But we've recorded slightly earlier tonight, so we can actually finish at a somewhat normal time. Yeah, somewhat reasonable. <laughs> um, so is there anything else you want to say, Josh, before we sign off? No, I think I'll leave... I was going to say leave that sign off to Matt to Chris in it. I tell you what, yeah, I um, think Matt, Matt Matt deserves to Chris. He he scoured it out, so I think Matt's going to Chris in it. So I'll I'll leave Matt's kind of red carpet moment out for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the usual stuff. I, I should have really said it at the start. But if you want to suggest anything for us to talk about, feel free to follow us on Twitter at Red Sector Motor GP. Um, feel free to join the. Bono GP Discord. I have a Discord link in my bio on Twitter, so you can follow me on Twitter. Join the Discord. There's a few of us in there. You can discuss all sorts of stuff, all sorts of rubbish that we talk about. Join us on that. Follow us all individually on Twitter. So we've got me, Bono GP, like I say. We've got Matt Polanski one and Josh. What's your at on Twitter again? Uh, Wilson J. Wilson J. One nine four, I believe. Yeah. Well, Josh you'll be on there. His own Twitter. I don't. I do not. <laughs> But yeah, if um, if you want to follow us all on there and let us know whatever you want to let us know, feel free, messages, do whatever you like, all that fun jazz. Um, so right. yeah, on that, 